0: In Denny, Mika, Cooter, Patchy, and though sometimes the mobile's scratchy, they ring to talk to Macca on Sunday morning. There's a truckie easing back the throttle to tell Australia about the wattle that forms a golden carpet by the roadside. On the fink, along the lander, in Fingal, Fernvale, Hallway, Andrew, they're tuning in Australia.
1: G'day, it's Matt. It's Mac from Seymour, mate. How are you? Oh, uh, good, Matty. We flooded out here, mate, last week. About a thousand acres under five metre of water and. Pretty badly impacted, lost a lot of cattle and stuff like that. We just weren't expecting what we got. Yeah, just to see, you know, these next towns, Rochester, Shepparton, Echuca, going through what they're going through is heartbreaking, mate. And thank you to everyone who's helped us out. Like the Seymour was mayhem when we woke up on that Friday morning, mate. We were swimming cattle out in the boat and a shout out to Gary who came out. It was unbelievable. Swimming cattle out over fences where you look now and you think, how is that even possible? We lost a lot, but we saved a lot we'll fight on and get back to on our feet, mate. It was unbelievable.
2: Oh, hello, Macka yeah. It's Rob from Caligarupna. How are you going?
3: Good, thanks, Rob. The
2: thing that's come with the floods, not that we've had them in tally but surrounding Shepparton and out at Karimba, the mozzies. I've uh, had to rug the horses because
4: of the mozzies. They're just driving the horses berserk and the people. and so right. that's come with the floods. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning.
0: There's milkmaid singing below Mount Warning. It's just another Sunday morning. The surfers say it's wicked, sick, it's filthy. Loncestonians and Hobartians, and who's to say there isn't Martians beaming up Australia on Sunday mornings? It starts my week,
1: Macca, on Sunday mornings.
3: That's mine too. Good morning. Welcome wherever you are. Lovely to talk to you. We've already had calls from all over the place this morning. The flooding rains uh, seems to have subsided for a little while, but um, great tracts of Australia's land is covered in water in New South Wales and Victoria, and uh, the results will take years, I reckon, to clean up, and uh, good crops have been decimated, and uh, well, yeah, anyway, you know the story. If you're uh, in that sort of situation, you want to ring us, thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two, or you can ring oh two eight triple three ten twenty. Macatrax at gmail dot com is an email you can get to us. I always get lots of lovely little things about about nature and uh, Terry and Laurel Hazeldine uh Dine sent me a little video and they said I can't show you the video, but. They say I thought you'd like to see our bee-eaters, that's rainbow bee-eaters nesting. This is the second year they've nested with us, and this plover in the photo normally nests out in the street and will move on soon. The bee-eaters also usually nest in the nature strip, digging a one-meter tunnel to a cavern where the chicks are hatched. See, I didn't know that. Wow. See, rainbow bee-eaters usually north north of uh, Australia. Uh, though they, anyway, they're in the cabin where the chicks are hatched. Last year, though, after four new chicks had moved on, we excavated to see how they lived. This year, we have at least six pairs. That's a wonderful, Kieran Kelly. Good morning, mate. Good, morning, um, good mate. Um, to see how they lived. This year, we have at least six pairs nesting in the street, and luckily, all the neighbours look out for them. If last year is anything to go by, we'll have them with us till mid-January. Hope you find this interesting. Terry and Laurel, I did. I think it's wonderful. And speaking of uh, nature, um, Deb says, Deb's in Seaforth, thought you might like to see a little friend I found sitting in my roses this morning, an eastern dwarf green tree frog. I've seen one of those. There was one in my garden a couple of years ago. The dwarf green tree frog, lovely little thing. I live on the northern beaches of New South Wales of Sydney. It's always nice to find them. It's a good indication of how healthy our environment is. Or not. I listen on Sundays and so does my brother Rick, who lives in Lemon Tree Passage. Uh, there you go. It says Deb from C4. Thanks, Deb. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll just have a little drink of water. Uh, as I said, Kieran's here and I'll talk to him in just a moment. But last week I read a little uh, story about a shopping trolley. Now, 20 years ago, we used to have shopping trolley stories all the time because shopping was 20, it might be 25 years ago. But I've noticed, uh, and that was a deal, you know, people found, you know, uh, I'd get calls from the HMAS, whatever, and they say, oh, Macca, we've got milk crates and shopping trolleys on board here. Uh, and <laughs> We get things around the boat and there's, you know, people said, oh, we're at Pearl Harbour and the, we went to see the USS Missouri and down there in the water, clear water, you can see there's a couple of shopping trolleys there and they're you know, shopping trolleys up trees and on houses, you know, they were everywhere. But I've, I've... I've Latter times, this is like 25 years later in the 2020s, you see them all over the place again. They seem to be, I've noticed them in creeks and whatever. Uh, and somebody said to me, Macca, the reason is, it's because Woolworths and Ald, uh, Woolworths and Coles don't charge, but Aldi has a deposit on the shopping trolley, so they bring it back. But well, I don't know if that's true. But anyway, anyway um, have I got to talk to Doug, have I? First, I'll talk to Doug first because my producer is rolling my sidekick. My sidekick is rolling her eyes. Um, <laughs> uh, it's Doug, is it? G'day, Doug. Yeah, how are you, Mac? Yeah, good, mate. Tell Where me your story. Are you Where at? are you?
1: Um, just east of Moema, uh huh, right on the river. Right? I rang you a couple of times when we are out chasing rabbits on a Sunday morning with the whippets. Mm. But, um, yeah, there's not many rabbits around at the moment, they're all um. Swam on the South Australia, I think. <laughs> but, um,
3: yeah, down the Murray. So,
1: yeah, yeah. So it's um it's starting to drop. Probably dropped. I'm on the balcony now. Luckily, we've got a two story house. So um, it's probably dropped 150 mil. But it's flowing really, really hard. Going strong.
3: What you mean? It's flowing yeah. flowing strongly, or? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: really. Oh, we're right on the river. Yeah. Um, behind us towards um, Barma or Bama Forest and Barma is just water as far as you can see. And um, that good, fresh country air, um, it's got a little bit of a pong to it at the moment. Um, just, um yeah, just rotting vegetation and, um, yeah, just the beautiful odd... barley crops that are um, just, yeah, they've got about two feet of water through them.
3: yeah. They sprung a lot of the crops, I suppose. have sprung,
1: she's oh, a bit late to be sprung, mate. When you're in two feet of water, yeah, so um, yeah, it just gets a bit um, um, in our places, we've only got 50 acres, so it's not a not a big deal. We got rid of our cattle, um, to some friends, luckily, a couple of weeks ago, and um, um, we're probably a bit luckier than most that we're right on the river. So, as it does drop, the water off our property, it'll go with us. And, um, yeah, it's been been trying times,
3: that's for sure. Oh, for everybody. I don't know if you heard, uh, was it Pete, the the pilot, rang this morning? Yeah. He's been flying right. uh, in, in Chuka. You're on the other side of the river, see him, aren't you? Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. But um, but everywhere, Barham, Kundruk, I suppose all... The Murray's been running a banker for ages, hasn't it? The Murrumbidgee oh, and y- you yeah. name it, you know. Yeah. There's yeah. water everywhere and, and then, you know, um, there's water lying everywhere.
1: Yeah, at least we knew it was coming. Yeah, it was coming up, you know, 100 mil a day, 100 mil a day. Um, it came up 750 mil in one day, but that was two Sundays ago. Um, but other than that, it's just 100 mil, 100 mil. Not like poor old bugger, poor buggers in Roche. It just, you know, they just woke up one morning and it was there. Yes,
3: exactly. So, so, um, you know, they've been they've been smashed. So Doug, how do you get you go into town? How do you get into town? Yeah,
1: we've, we've got an old um, 1998 trip carrier that we resurrected but out from under a gum tree and put a battery in it, and um, we head into about four k's, and um, we've got the town levy bank, we sort of sneak around that, and business as usual. So well, there you go. Well, yeah, good old
3: Toyota. Good yep.
1: advertising for Toyota.
3: There'll be a lot of clean-up to go, Doug, for, oh, month, for months and months, won't
1: yeah, there? Yeah. But, you know, it'll, it'll very. It's what, um, you know, the media do drum it up. But it's a lot worse than it really is. I mean, we're in a flood zone, so that's just life. But, you know, Echooka and Moem will bounce back. And, um, you know, we, but we were putting around in the tinny yesterday and the river's just amazing.
3: You know, Tell me, and, um, what do you yeah. mean it's amazing? Tell us.
1: Oh, just the size of it and the birds and the, you know, uh, instead of being just just a river, it's just, yeah, it's, oh, there's a big bend at our place and we'd be you know, nearly half a kilometre wide.
3: The mighty Murray.
1: The mighty Murray, that's for sure. It's um, <laughs> And um, <clears throat> the poor old South Australians say, well, um, moan and groan about not getting enough water, but I can assure them there's plenty coming.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the bloke said to us a couple of weeks ago, he said even around, uh, was it, um, not, where do we do the program that morning, Kel? In, down on the Murray Barham, no, down at um, Moa. was it Moam not Moat, um, near Lake Alexandrina anyway, that'll be, uh, yeah. that's where it'll all be, in <laughs> and places like that. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll be, um, yeah,
1: they'll be, um, yeah, you know, we'll be high and dry, and they'll, they'll be you know, a month or maybe even longer behind us until they get the peak.
3: Yeah, and as you yeah. say, the rabbits will be down there because there'll be no rabbits around <laughs> there Yeah, <leveraged>. <laughs> so i so,
1: um, sick, sick of catching them, but I think we, we don't need the police virus. We just need, we need it to flush them out a
3: bit. You know? yeah.
1: so, All right, Dougie,
3: good on you, mate. Yeah, nice to yeah, talk yeah, to yeah, you, mate. States stay, uh, sure st- Stay afloat. Yep. All right, mate. See you later. Bye. Uh, Ah, Doug. And now, look. I wanted to get back to this quickly, and then I'll talk to Kieran. Um, So we were talking about trolleys, and uh, yeah, twenty-five years ago, trolleys were all the rage, and milk crates, and they were all turning up everywhere—up trees, and on top of houses, and everywhere, and strung up everywhere. And and then it sort of died and people used to write lovely wonderful you know funny letters about it and the, i read one last week about the bloke said yeah well i'm my job's to round you know my job's to train them here i'm in the supermarket i train them you know i whip them into shape and you know some of them are a bit and it was you know exaggerated it was lovely anyway this is from david david howard he used to work at the abc here many years ago um he says i assume that the trolley breaker this morning, recorded his story 20 years ago. That's my assumption. I've been married for over 50 years, and another assumption I've been forced to make is that I'm not always correct in lots of things. However, I think I heard you say the stories from your collection of historic shopping trolley stories from that turn-of-the-century era. It doesn't sound a long time ago, turn-of-the-century. How wonderful to hear of one's imagination being allowed to run riot. I wonder how many of your younger listeners are still wondering what the dissertation was all about. He can't be serious, they're saying. He is. He's seriously being unserious. It used to be a profession. Now few people can appreciate it. I've done poems about the drover, the territory tick, a real-life person but about whom a poem was written, author unknown. The original concerned the tick's drover of 1,000 10-foot crocodiles uh, drove from the Gulf of Carpentaria to Adelaide. Uh, by the time they arrived, the crockskin handbag uh, job had ended, so he drove them all back to the Gulf and let them go. I've written of some other fict- fictitious droves that Tick did emus from the Channel country to Corumba for export to Asia for emu oil and empty 44 gallon drums from an unknown place to an unknown destination. I used to offside for a f- to a fencing contractor on properties near the Opal Fields south of Winton. Post hole sinking was hard yakka. The boss got the idea of getting hold of duffer opal shafts, trucking them to Winton, cutting them up into three-foot lengths for strainer post holes, two-foot lengths for dropper holes, and we couldn't meet the demand. Nobody today seems to be able to appreciate a tall story except when it comes from a politician. (laughs) Says David. He was a funny fellow, Dave. With all the rain about too, I wonder if Huey is no longer the farmer's friend. It's a case of don't send her down, Huey. There are several origins of the term which you can find through your computer, most origins being pre-World War I. Another, which is post-World War I, concerns a Mallee farmer fighting a dry time and the loss of his son named Hugh in World War I. Dad assumed that the late Hugh had gone to heaven and was looking down on him as the storm clouds developed, and if Hugh cooperated, there'd be rain. Send her down, Hugh. There you go. You didn't know that, Kieran. Good morning, did you? Good How are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm good, mate. Good mate. Uh, it's an important time in Australia. Thank you, David, for that uh, uh, missive. It's an important time in Australia. It's November. Um, it's Melbourne Cup Day on Tuesday, and that's important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it's the Cup, and people can, I suppose, forget about their worries and woes, and it's a nice time to get together. We're having a little drink for the Cup and all that sort of stuff. It's nice. And the other thing is that the Reserve Bank meets on traditionally meets on Melbourne Cup Day, and for the last two or three years, or it might be longer, five years, they've done nothing, nothing. We've had these interest rates that I don't understand, zero in Switzerland, I think they were minus, so you're paying to have your money in the bank. So and a strange time, I remember Kira and I spoke to that bank manager in P&G, and we were talking about something else, and he said, oh, I said, what did you do? For-? Oh, he said, I used to be a bank manager. I said, I bet you've never seen interest. He said, no, I can't believe it. He said, when, you know, zero interest rates. Well, now, whew, they're going up again. And the Reserve Bank uh, meeting on Tuesday, Kieran, what are they going to do? Are they going to c- continue that? Uh,
5: uh, well, they'll be up somewhere. Be- uh depends what your view is. Probably 50, uh, uh, you know, half a percent, 50 mm. basis points as we saw in the trade. Maybe 25 if they're being a bit more conservative. Uh, there's some suggestions that maybe they'll start to rein it in uh, a little bit. Uh so that they don't go too too over the top, but I suspect you'll get half a percentage they're, uh, point.
3: They're under a lot of pressure, aren't they? Because there's the there's the push that says, um, "Don't do it to us. We've got uh, our payments are going up," and governments of whatever persuasion, but certainly the present government will. Yeah. Well, there's two it's, two it's,
5: things going on. And firstly, uh, people like myself that were in the professional market think uh, they move well they let interest rates get too low for too long mistake number one mistake number two was that they didn't start to put them up quickly enough I remember I came back from the United States and I spoke on your program about how astonished I was by the cost of fuel in America and food in a country where the public demands cheap food and cheap fuel and they weren't getting either and I said I came back to Australia this is in about March this year, and the Governor of the Reserve Bank was saying, oh, inflation's only temporary, it's going to go away. And I thought the guy's mad. So they're under pressure because they're seen to be making mistakes. And they, so that's all... You know, there's a bit of credibility on the line with the Reserve mm. Bank. But the second thing is the Australian public has really been given a kicking over the last year. The average wage in Australia, according to the last census, is about $90,000. Well... You don't need to understand economics to understand two very simple figures. If your average wage is, is, has gone up this year about 2 to 3% and inflation's gone up 8%, then you're underwater. And what the inflation figures don't tell you, I mean, the inflation figures are, are, are an indication of pain or misery mm. for working people. What not? What isn't included in there is the increase in mortgage repayments for people with housing mortgages, particularly young people, the average mortgage repayment in the last year has gone up about $8,000. So if you're on the average wage, about 90000 over the last year, that ninety thousand's probably worth now about $77,000. Mm. you have gone down, your income's gone down about $14,000 all told. So people are experiencing a lot of pain and they're going to look for someone to blame. And they could start with the Reserve Bank being a little bit too academic, I think, a little bit too academic, a little bit too removed from the reality. You know those shopping trolleys you push them? And you fill one of them up and it costs the, the working people a lot more than it did a year ago. Mm.
3: But, I mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago, because I was thinking about it, that if you had $100,000, I said just a, a figure, in the bank pre-COVID, say 2019, and now you looked at it now, I thought that that hundred thousand wouldn 't be worth because uh, it wouldn't a, have gone up much, and it would be, it'd be worth, worth much less worth about eighty five well that 's ridiculous i mean uh, I, the reason I wanted to talk to you about it because i don 't think that a lot of people understand what inflation will do to everything to you the cost to the dollar what it 's worth, yeah. and everything in your whole life um, The reason why houses are so uh, expensive is because the dollar's not worth what
5: it was, you know, years ago. That's one reason. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's one reason. Well, it just costs a lot more to buy everything. And several things occur. As we saw in Germany, they had a hyperinflation in the early 1930s. And that was, that prompted the whole development of what we saw in Germany. Number one, the first thing that happens is people lose trust in government. Then they lose trust in their ability to earn a living wage because they work and work and work. And it buys less and less and less. So people start to lose confidence in the whole structure of the way we work and the way we operate. And it's painful for people. So what can uh, – is there
3: any other fiscal or monetary measures that governments uh, yeah. can do apart from – Raising interest rates. Yeah, which yeah is... there's the other one,
5: but it's equally unpalatable and you can sort see this in the budget the government didn't want to go near it is to is to raise taxes and cut spending that has not exactly an identical impact but it tends to slow the circulation of money in the economy but that's a little bit unpalatable i can't understand quite why governments particularly a labor government can't see the wisdom of of raising money on the uh, raising taxes on the ultra rich not just ordinary people that have been successful and worked hard and got comfortable. but There's people spending $100 million on Fairwater, a house on Sydney Harbour, Harbour, while at the same time there's probably a single mother in Parramatta who's struggling to put food on the table because of inflation and the cost of energy and, and so forth. So I can't quite understand why there's such an aversion to taxing really mega-rich people a little bit more. Make them give a little bit more because if you're worth $70, $80 billion, which some of these people are, you can afford to give a little bit back.
3: Yeah. Uh, it reminds me, didn't Jack Lang wanted to tax super profits? And I'm yeah. not sure if that was company prof- profits. But it seems to me there's a lot more, or we hear about them, I don't know. Here's... here's um uh, the financial review this weekend which we were instructed when I was at uni doing you will in first year economics you will read the financial review yeah. now I find it quite woke the old financial review but that's another story <laughs> but their big magazine this year uh, this week is Young Rich the Australian financial uh, Sam Backman Fried built a Fried Fried built a $25 billion fortune it's talking about all those sort of people it seems to be more I mean there were always rich people the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers mm. but now they seem to be on every corner. Billionaires seem to be on every corner. That's right.
5: But what, what you've got to be careful of is that Australia doesn't go down the same track as the United States where what the wealth gap uh, is getting greater and greater. There's more inequality. Now, if you drive down the Ohio River Valley, uh, go to Detroit, go to Chicago, and have a look at what happens when you get really extreme income inequality, the middle hollows out. The, the bottom end of the middle class ends up poor and the top ends up really rich and there's no one in the middle. And that leads to divisions in society which inflation will eat away at even further. So you've got to take a big picture view here uh, and and try and work out what sort of society you have. Australia doesn't want to end up like the United States, I can tell you that, no. because so many other things flow from that. So if that the Financial Review is publishing... The what the young rich. The young rich, yeah. Uh, well, what they should do is yeah. have the next issue: the young poor. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. well, if you're going to be balanced in society, <laughs> well, and there's adulation, exactly. uh, there's adulation about. As an American said to me, "This book I'm writing, I'm interviewing." Oh, that's a, I was going to ask you how the book's uh, going. Well, it's tough, but I interviewed a guy on uh, on on uh, on during the week. he v- a wealthy, retired American businessman who came here about 30 years ago, decided he loved the country so much he decided to stay and took out Australian citizenship. And I asked him, well, what doesn't he like? And he said, well, one of the things he doesn't understand is why are whole pages of a newspaper on Sunday devoted to some socialite or wealthy person who's just spent $100 million on a house? He said, "He said that's just ridiculous. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And I said, well, I don't know why it happens either, but that's not the reality for a lot of people. I listened to some of the people talking uh, on this morning, and I suppose I'm sensitive to this because I come from the country. It's, they're, they're doing it tough out there, some of those people. You know, I was on your program, what lesson? Well, probably 12 months ago and you were running appeals for bushfires. Yeah. Now we're talking about appeals for floods. Yeah. So it's just lucky the Australian is an of an enduring character and there's a sense of community. That makes us different in America. As part of writing this book, one of the things I've discovered is we have a great sense of community. Mm. But income inequality will crush that. You know, if you look at a Echuca in the photos down there, everyone pitches in, right? Yeah. That wouldn't happen in America.
3: Oh, no. they're, they're pitching in in Shepparton too, and Shepparton all the gold, valley, places. and er, er, but, everywhere around Gunnada, you but know the blaze
5: aid was the same when yeah. you had bushfires. That's an Australian attribute, and we got to, We should try and hang on to that.
3: Pauline, like, Good morning, Pauline. Oh, hi, Macca and Kieran. Hello. Um, I just wanted to comment, Kieran,
6: You talked about the average income being around ninety thousand. Um, right back, almost fifty years ago, when I was at school, um, we learned about something called the median. Yep. The median income is now somewhere between fifty and sixty. That means that oh, that's what fifty percent of people earn less than fifty to sixty thousand a year. The average is inflated incredibly by those number of people who get very high wages. Um, and I think it's really mad that we talk about averages. Um, you know, you talked about a quite, you know, absolutely, I think you're on the right track here, talking about the increasing division within Australia of income. And it seems to me that... Uh, there's no point in talking. That's already, if you look at it, we're not as bad as the United States, but there's still a huge spread of income.
5: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's quite true. Well, actually, uh, I'll go back and check that, but I thought the median, as you say... Uh, which is where 50% above and 50% below, as of the last census, the 2021 census, was about 90,700. No, I think okay. you're
6: talking average, not median. Okay, well, I'll, I'll stand you. And you and everybody else who talks economy, economics talks average and the government talks average and we've got to go back to talking median. Paul, okay.
5: you obviously paid attention at school. <laughs> Good for you. I bet, I bet you did first level economics.
6: It didn't, that didn't I happen. didn't, I did, a, I did first year economics at one of those funny little institutes, they called Institutes of Advanced Education, uh-huh. I'm just one of those funny people who's interested in everything, well, Paul, I good. once got told that I hadn't grown up because I was still interested in everything. Well Pauline, that's good for
5: you, you can't, You, can't, you don't criticise yourself for being interested in everything, that's a wonderful human effort. Pauline,
3: you're in Brunswick are you?
6: I am in Brunswick. As what? I said to your lady, people are going to think, oh, my God, she's rich because she lives in Brunswick. But All the right. trouble is I bought here when I was a single parent. My job in the country had disappeared, so I had to move to Melbourne and I was a single parent, so I bought here. Um, so that I could drop my kids off at school before I got to work, went to work, and get back in go. time to pick them up from after-school care. Good on- and, of course, now I'm land-rich, but cash-poor. Pauline, and got to fly,
3: got to fly. It's uh, yeah. coming up to the All Over News, but thanks for your call. Median, median. Okay. Median, S- median is what Bye. we need. Bye. 1300 700 that's our number. Macatracks at gmail.com. It's quarter to eight. <laughs> This is the All Over News. This is the all-over news, and straight away to our stone fruit correspondent, I think, in the Goulburn Valley, Malcolm Blake. Malcolm, paint us a picture.
7: Yeah, well, it was a case of the floods came through. It was water out of the Goulburn River that created most of the havoc. We've got a little farm, 79 acres north of Shepparton, and we saw 85% of it go underwater. Fortunately, it didn't go anywhere near the house, but it's destroyed all the grass. I've probably seen about 20 acres of what was going to be a future hay crop all gone. I'm only a small operator, but the dairy farm at the back on those this morning, they've probably lost, you know, 40 or 50 acres of pasture, which is pretty important for them to have in the summer. I know one particular grain grower further north, near Australia, he's lost a lot, you know, probably six or 700 acres gone.
3: So how are all the stone fruit doing? You know, the well, nectarines, pears are coming up, you know, yeah, apricots, yeah, the, cherries. The,
7: the, the orchards have to get the water off as fast as they can because particularly the stone fruits, they don't like wet feet. Pears will tolerate it a bit better, but stone fruit, they've got to get the water off as fast as they can. So quite a few of them will be pumping water out into drains just to try and get rid of it because we've had a lot of, besides the floods coming through, we've had a lot of rain. It'd be, I think this year, be a record rainfall the same as everywhere else in the country. Exactly. And is it still raining down there? Today is probably the first day we haven't seen any rain, but I think it's supposed to rain Monday, Tuesday. And what's
3: the reaction of the community been like? I suppose typical when it hits the fan, people pull together.
7: That's exactly right. You find that you, you now your neighbours are coming along and, and just to check to see how you are and then in town, particularly in Marupna where a lot of houses were inundated you find that the neighbours are all helping each other to you know, rip up the carpet and throw out the furniture and the bedding and all that sort of thing there be nothing worse than having flood water go through your house
3: And that's happened everywhere in Australia, or certainly on the East Coast, hasn't
7: it? Yeah, that's right. It's been a disastrous year for everyone in that respect.
3: And just following on from COVID, really?
7: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's not one thing, it's another, the way things are going in the world at the moment.
3: The outlook is okay for stone fruit, you think?
7: I think these guys will get through it. It'll just depend on uh, how things go. When they go to harvest, it'll probably um, knock them about a bit. There's no doubt about that. The other thing too is that the, the weather's so cool at the moment. So next Tuesday's forecast will only be about 13 or 14 degrees here. Well, usually at this time of the year, it should be double that. Exactly. It should, should be 26. And the other thing is, it hasn't been much silage cut this year but simply because it's been too wet to get on the paddock. So that's going to have a lot of effect on some of the dairy farmers that rely on that uh, fodder for autumn and winter. And the same goes with the hay crops. They're going to be late too. Like Melbourne Cup days, usually hay season flood out. And it's not going to happen this year. Yeah,
3: and the rivers are running a banker everywhere you look. Yeah,
7: absolutely. You just don't know when the next one, next lot's going to come through. I was over at Mansfield over to near Ildan for the last two days, and yesterday it just rained all day, 100% runoff. The the, the soil just can't take any more.
3: All right, Malcolm, good to talk to you. Let's hope it stops raining. They say it's going to stop raining, but I don't know.
7: (laughs) Nobody's able to give us a date exactly when it's going to turn off. A few years ago, we were all praying for rain, and now we're praying for it to stop. We're never happy.
3: No, apparently it's a land of droughts and flooding rains,
7: apparently. That's exactly right. That's the way it is. Well, I've got you there, Ian, the old high school I used to go to. We've got the reunion coming up the 12th of November at Gels Park, the Glen Waverley High's Class of 72.
3: Glen Waverley High. Yeah. There'll be a lot to talk about, eh? There always is. Good on you, Malcolm. Okay. This is the all-over news, and you know when the Melbourne Cup is just around the corner that the year is shot. Gone. Where did it go? The word November comes from the Latin novem, meaning nine. In the old Roman calendar, it was the ninth month, but it kept its name when Julius Caesar, remember him? Do you remember that poem about Julius Caesar? When Julius Caesar was a child in Rome, do you you ever learn that? Anyway, get back, sorry, I digress. In the old Roman calendar, it was the ninth month, but it kept its name when Julius Caesar rearranged the calendar, and it became the eleventh month. The Anglo-Saxon names were Windmonath, meaning Wind Month, because it gets windy and stuff in Britain in November, and Bloodmonath, Blood Month. I don't know what that was all about. Anyway, in southern Australia, and indeed much of Australia, it is a lovely month. Summer is nearly here, and the jacarandas, roses, and many other plants are in flower. There is a jacaranda festival in Grafton, New South Wales, for one week in November. This, by the way, is from the Book of the Year, A new revised edition. It's an almanac of special days, festivals and seasonal activities. And I thought you'd be interested. Anyway, the Jacaranda Festival in Grafton. It began in 1935 and now includes all kinds of activities. We did our program from the Jacaranda Festival one year. Many years ago, a former Grafton resident made up a special dance. Wow. (laughs) To be performed in the main street along with the more traditional dances. I'd like to see that. In tropical northern Australia, November is extremely hot and humid. It is known in some places as suicide month. The humidity builds up and up day after day until finally the rain comes and the wet season begins. There are many festivals and outdoor activities beginning as summer comes. The cricket season has begun, where many Australian cricketers decide where their money is coming from. Of course, the Melbourne Cup, which is on on Tuesday, is the most famous horse race in Australia and attracts visitors from all over the world. The first Tuesday in November is a public holiday in Victoria on that day. The first Melbourne Cup was held on the 7th of November 1861 over a two-mile track at Flemington Racecourse. It was a very rough track, freshly scythed the few days before. The surrounding country was just open bush in those days. There were 17 horses in the race, and the winner was Archer, who also won the second year. Archer was walked and ridden in 40-kilometre stages, the 885 k's to Melbourne from Nowra for the race. There were no horse floats for transporting horses in those days, it says here. The first meeting was a very gloomy one because news had just come of the death of the Explorers Burke and Wills, and only 4,000 people attended the meeting. Nowadays, except for the last two years, of course, there's often more than 100,000 people at the Melbourne Cup. Horse numbers are limited now to make it safer, but in the past, as many as 39 horses have run the race. The original prize was 220 sovereigns and a gold watch, but is now a cup worth about $250,000 and $8 million in prize money. And of course, it says here, the most famous horse in Australian racing history is probably Lap. I'd agree with that. He was born in New Zealand on the 4th of October 1926 by night raid out of Entreaty. David Davis bought him as a 15-month-old colt on the advice of a Sydney owner-trainer, Harry Telford. The two men were very disappointed when they saw Farlap. His legs were long and awkward and his head was too small, but he did have a shiny chestnut coat. At first he didn't do very well in the races, but he was a very calm, friendly horse, and everyone liked him. Then he won his first race in 1929 and won the Melbourne Cup in 1930, carrying 63 kilos. He ran again in the 1931 Cup, this time they gave him 68 kilos, my God, in which he came eighth. He went on to win many more races, became an extremely popular horse and won lots of money for his owners. In less than three years he ran 51 races and won 37 of them. In 1932 he was taken to Mexico to run in a special race, the Agua Caliente Handicap. He won the race in record time, but 16 days later he died mysteriously. Some people thought he had been poisoned, but it's possible that he was put in a field of damp lucerne, alfalfa. If a horse eats too much wet lucerne, its stomach swells up enormously until it squashes the heart and kills the animal. It's called bloat. Farlap's hide is now mounted in the National Museum of Melbourne. His skeleton is in the Dominion Museum in Wellington, New Zealand, and his enormous heart is in the Australian Institute of Anatomy in Canberra. His heart weighed 6.4 kilos, whereas a normal big horse has a heart weighing only about 2.7 kilos. What a horse, Farlap! As we approach Remembrance Days, the following emails have come in from you, the listener. This one from Peter Allen, who says, You might recall I was in the studio in 2018 re the Australian Jewish War Memorial in Canberra, unveiled by the Governor-General in the previous August, the centenary of General Sir John Monash's knighthood, says Peter Allen. Peter Allen says, I have arranged the following unique event at Rookwood Cemetery this morning from 1115. It's a centenary service of heroic Dr. Captain Norman Packer, one of only three World War I Australian servicemen, reburied in Australia, and the consecration of the grave of Trooper Benjamin Braun, a Boer War veteran, at Brookwood Cemetery, today from 1115. From Perth, Raymond Kennedy says that next Sunday, the 6th of November, Gunner's Day will be commemorated at Stirling Square, Guildford. Gunner's Day has been held since 1928 by the Royal Australian Artillery Association. That's next Sunday, Sterling Square, Guildford. From Rowan Goyne, I'm emailing about the 80th anniversary of the Empire Air Training Scheme, which is progressive for each year of World War II. More airmen died in training in Australia than all the casualties of the RAAF sustained in the Pacific during World War II. My uncle Alan, says Rowan, died one cold winter morning flying out of sail with three of his fellow trainee pilots on the 19th of July, 1943. His 80th anniversary is next year. His accident was the single largest loss of life of trainees in 1943. They gave their lives selflessly for our today. Lest we forget, says Rowan Goyne. Thank you. This is the All Over News, and this morning we've been talking with Kieran. Kieran Kelly's our guest this morning. Good morning, Kieran. Hello. Uh, We've been talking about, um, well, inflation and (laughs) where do we go from here? But... um, Your prediction for uh, Tuesday. This is not the cup. This is. This is. So you reckon uh, half a percent, fifty fifty basis points, half a percent.
5: But for a lot of families, this might be, as they say, the media has been saying, a bridge too far. This is the problem with raising interest rates. It's boiling the frog in the pot. You do it a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time and a little bit of a time and the frog's still going. Then all of a sudden it only needs 25 basis points or maybe 50, which is a fairly solid rise and the frog keels over.
3: And yet they've got to, they've got to, it seems to me, bring inflation under control because otherwise it'll hit the fan in all sorts of ways and nothing will be worth anything. No. Yeah. No. in the all-over news, we like to uh, be fairly catholic in what we do. Uh, Kieran's a swimmer, ladies and gentlemen. He swims, and uh, and he, you know, he's told you know, and I'm the only shark that gets me. he will have gravel up rash, as my friend <laughs> June Barton used to say to me. But um, and Kieran, you know, waxes lyric about the dusky whalers that he can see twenty metres below him as he swims in the lovely. Well, when when it is lovely and. After, but it's pretty nice now. Apparently, the water's pretty nice well, now. Was just the last two days. But you've got a little pal. Tell me about your little <laughs> pal. <laughs> a little pal.
5: Well, at Manly, as you know, it's got the greatest street in the world called the Corso, and it starts at the Pacific Ocean and ends at Sydney Harbour. Which means that when it's really rough on the ocean side, so there's a easter, you go and swim in the harbour because it's really calm. But, but. There's a problem. And there's a big but. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big butt. Well, I, I'm a bit of a sook. So <laughs> when you swim out there on a cold, rainy day in the harbour, you have to. there's a thing called the Skiff Club Wharf. And this wharf sticks out right across where you swim and it's dark and it's gloomy under there and it <laughs> always terrifies me. So it got really rough this week, so a whole pile of us decided we'd go and swim in the harbour. And there must have been about 30 people in various groups that, that were in.
3: Uh, There's strength in unity, I is suppose. Sort that, of. Is that the uh, anyway? Stupid. Uh, yeah, go on.
5: I just saw it go underneath, and I thought, saw so what go underneath? Well, I, I poked my head up, and I, everyone else poked their head up at the same time. They looked around, and I said, "Was that a bull shark?" And no one stopped to answer because all of a sudden there was thirty people heading the opposite direction into the beach. The fastest I ever, it was the funniest thing you've ever seen. Uh, so many people all of a sudden get out of the water really quickly.
3: So bull sharks don't swim off the beach, but they'll swim in the harbour. Uh, well, that the story? they seem
5: to come into the harbour. That's the uh, that's the myth. Let's call it an urban myth. I have myself convinced that you never see them at the beach; that you only see dusky whales. Everyone tells me that's a crazy idea, but I'm going to stick with it.
3: We grew up with the story of sharks when I was a kid at Sandy Beach and stuff, so you'd always swim in the, in the baths. And yet, a, lot, a few years ago, somebody us, went out in the harbour in a boat and they stopped the boat and, and then they all jumped into the harbour. And I thought, you're never going to get me to do that in a month of Sundays. That's just ridiculous
5: stuff. Well, I've been you know swimming in the harbour for 50 years on and off. And you've just but, seen a bull shark. Yeah, but the funny thing is... I've never seen a bunch of people swim so quickly. (laughs) I thought if they could, these people would stand up on the water and run for their lives. It was No one kept going. You'd think there'd be one brave soul that would say, oh, I don't care.
3: All right. Kieran, great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for coming in. You go off swimming now, are you?
5: Yeah, yeah, I am. And best wishes to all the people at Echuca and down the river. Uh, And up the river. Yeah, you're doing it tough. Hello, Mecca.
3: Yep.
5: Robin's
4: my... my name. Hi, Robin. I rang you about uh, living at Marley some time ago.
3: Oh right, uh, yeah, we got your number wrong or something. Yeah, anyway, Marley, where's Marley, Robin? Uh,
4: about eleven k's out of Wingham.
3: Uh huh. And what's on at Marley? Anything on there?
4: Well, or? I believe it's a back to Marley. Oh, it's a hundred years of Marley. Or what? And one of my friends asked me to write a letter to uh, somebody up there to explain how nice M- or oh, how I had lived at Marley. I just didn't get to it, and I thought this was a tribute to Mali, because it really was a wonderful place for me to be living. I I married a man who had been born in Mali, and he took me back to the country, and I'd never lived in the country, and I had the most wonderful time of my life. It was great living in Mali, with all the wonderful people I met there, and the... Wonderful times we had on the farm. Now, where
3: are you? Where are, where are you this morning, Robin?
4: I'm living. I live in Menai now. Oh, in I'm Sydney. pretty
3: old. Yeah, in Sydney, <laughs> uh, Sydney suburb. Yes,
4: so, in the south, in the shire.
3: So you reckon it's a hundred years of Marley this this week or something? Do you? Well,
4: it's something. Uh, I was asked to to do something, and I thought the only thing I can do is talk to Maka and tell him how wonderful my lifetime my time I spent at Marley was.
3: Well, there you go. All right, it was Rob.
4: Just a great time. And Lovely this... place to live for and this a girl little... who'd never lived in the bush, and I, uh, my husband had been born there, and he... Bought 50 acres of his original property or his father's original property back, and there you go. we had pigs and cows and
3: the whole deal, turkeys. And Ro- <laughs> Ro- Robin, it's night. You're in Sydney, so you've had some sunshine in the last couple of days, haven't you?
4: Oh, <laughs> I sat out in the sun yesterday.
3: <laughs> yes, everybody gets out and oh look, there's a sunny day. Like it's something that God
6: help <laughs> me. Quite, quite beautiful. Good yes. on you.
3: Thanks for telling us about Marley, Robin. Good on you meant a
4: lot to me, Macca. Thank you.
3: Thank bye. Thank you. Bye. <coughs> Elaine's in Rochester. How's things, Elaine?
8: Oh, well, um, good. We've got a touch of sunshine this morning, which is lovely to see. Hallelujah. So I'm, a, I'm actually out. So I'm just on a farm a few kilometres out of Rochester, so I'm not right in town. mm um, but you've already had reference to it a few times. So it's, Rochester's in northern Victoria, we've got a population of about 3,000. It's a productive agricultural area. And per- many um, visitors come through with their caravans and they may re- remember the beautifully painted silos near the railway line with the sugar glider and the kingfisher, which fish in its beak. And it's, importantly, it's the town where in, McNamara purchased a pair of socks, I think, at the Parsons' Great store. <laughs> of Bristol. course.
3: And it's, <laughs> uh, and- <laughs> More uh, importantly, it's the town of Oppie, isn't it? Sir Correct. Hu- Sir Hubert yeah. Opperman.
8: That's right, and a lovely sports museum as well, thanks to the generosity of uh, John Forbes and uh, many volunteers. Mm. The flat, to Ian, I just thought it was important. I'm sure many people are aware, and, I, and we're well aware there's, that we're not on our own here, but the, the amazing thing about Rochester this time, we had a flood in 2011 and similar levels were predicted this time, but it unfortunately it was, was very underestimated and water entered the town, not just along the immediate river course but through other natural depressions. So it, it um, broke through a levee bank alongside the railway line about five kilometres south of town and then through the ballast supporting the railway line. And flowed at great speed and volume into other parts of town that had never been close to being threatened. It's flooded 85 to 90 percent of homes and businesses. It's estimated, plus the hospital, the three schools, the churches, the halls, and the sporting facilities. There have been some heroic rescues of people caught unawares. About 50 people were pulled out in tinnies by young men in chest-deep water, then lifted out by a front-end loader, loaded onto a trailer, being towed <laughs> by a tractor to safety. I mean, if you'd written a novel along <laughs> those lines, people would think you've got a, an amazing imagination. Uh, yeah. The evacuated residents have been accommodated far and wide, and the evacuation centres established at Bendigo Showgrounds, you know, the home of the Sheep and Wool Show? Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, and longer-term residential accommodation is now being... Set up at the Elmore Event Centre where the Elmore Field Days is, is held. In, in, lots
3: yeah. of, in lots of ways, when these things happen, Elaine, um, not to make light of it, of course, but there's, it's a great time for renewal, isn't it? Of well, course, you've got to renew, but I mean, in some ways, that can be good for a community um, where we get together and, and renew things. There's a lot of loss, but there's, uh, there's a bit of gain too, I think, uh, and get oh, people oh, get oh, together. I, I,
8: it's, it's absolutely true. It, it certainly has pulled, the, it's been quite incredible. The uh, the, the Pressy Church, which, which was also flooded, but it became the initial control centre. So, you know, you had the, the Rochester Community House, the SES and CFA, and many other volunteers. You're absolutely right. People are hugging. I, I say it's a bit like a grief event on a large scale lots <laughs> of talking and hugging and tears, you know. I was in the IGA, opened up yesterday. Brad and Rachel done a fantastic job with a lot of support not only from the locals but other towns as well so i saw brad standing there and of course like many he looks absolutely exhausted so i said brad could i give you a hug and he said well everybody else is <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, that's kind of how it is i yeah. love you elaine
3: what you said yeah. before where it was uh it was underestimated i mean that's the whole thing about life isn't it but especially with weather events you know and uh, i mean the last year we you know when the bureau and I don't want to knock them, but you know, they blithely said some time ago, uh, heavier, um, more more rain than normal. <laughs> this yeah. is for they said that last spring or some last September or something like you know. Well, you know we uh, they can't predict this, so I think to underestimate things. I always say that when people say, "Oh, it's going to be terrible," um, you you you're, you're forewarned, but you know. You never know, do you? You just never yeah. know. So you've just got to take precautions and and things can happen again, you know. And just, you know, I think that that great saying where the bloke said, you know, the weather's unpredictable, which we all know, but it has no memory, meaning it can happen again, you know. And, and uh, you know, I just think you've got to be forewarned and forearmed about all these sort of stuff. And if you live in a place where it can flood, but it never has in my lifetime or something – It's going to happen.
8: Well, well, yeah, totally uh, beyond anybody's experiences or expectations. My husband's family, the family have been farming here since 1870 and he's often referred to a grandfather's statement about 1870. I I always kind of took it with a grain of salt, but uh, maybe there's uh, an element of of truth in it after all. But it's certainly beyond anybody's living memory that anything like this has ever happened locally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see... Yeah, I had a few comments. Oh, is this okay, Ian? You know, I just want to say there's a few ways. If people wanted to support, if anyone's got any family or friends in Rochester, I, I would just suggest you try and contact them because, you know, just that personal communication. Mm. And uh, you, you've
3: got a poem, my uh, my sidekick here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, I have. Well, she, she, she just told me, she, she said, Eland's got a poem, Ian. Um, is, well,
8: it's not my poem. I have to say it's a, a, a young lady from a local family and um, – wrote this poem it's her experience and um i'm reading it really on her behalf um but it, it i was just going to say the rochester community have a wonderful a marvelous facebook page i've never been a fan of social media but i've been a, i'm a total convert it's beautifully managed and it has up-to-date information and eliza did put this poem on the facebook right. page and it's, had a, it's touched a lot of hearts do you want to read it Yes, I will. Okay, here we well, go. This, this is, is from Eliza Eliza Watson or Eliza Hodgins Watson. Mm-hmm. And she, I'll just say, she did lose, her house was flooded and they lost their cars and she has a family of young children. So this mm-hmm. is from Eliza. I want to hear the neighbour sounds. Faye singing out to Rod. Craig tinkering in his shed. Lorraine calling for her dog. I want to hear familiar cars pulling in for the night an engine stopping signal, they made it home all right. I want to hear the footy being booted in the park, a parent's voice a hollering, come home, it's getting dark. I want to hear the dusky sounds, a walker, their four-legged mate, a quick g'day to passers-by, words lingered by the gate. I want to hear the noises of my small town neighbourhood, the sounds that made me safer than I ever understood. I cannot hear the noises now. The water washed them all away. The noises cannot live here because the noises cannot stay. I know they will come back as noises often do. Not all at once, but one by one, first some and then a few. The noises might be shaky. They've been given quite a fright. But a small town knows a thing or two about holding on real tight. The water washed the familiar and left something strange behind. It rearranged what was and left it broken, out of time. But it didn't take our strength, our community, our core. And I can get through waiting if the noises come once more.
3: Oh, that's lovely, Elaine. That's a lovely poem, mm. isn't it? Please thank, mm. please thank uh, Eliza. Um, Listen, I was just thinking while I'm listening to your poem and listening to you talk, would would we come to Rochester or is it still too oh, yes, raw? Ra- ra- um, ra- well,
8: uh, yes, I think, well, it, <laughs> I guess we'll have to, could we have some discussions? I think that I've got that on my list of things to do. I, I got through two of them, making contact, going to the community Facebook page. Visiting and supporting locally owned family businesses, and number four was encourage or lobby <laughs> Ian and the Australia Labor team. That would be absolutely wonderful. Ian. Well,
3: if you if if you want us in the next couple of weeks, so, you know before before Christmas Day or something, or even look, have a talk about it. If they want, um, if things are too raw, we you know it doesn't matter. But you were saying if people. You know, um, have got friends in Rochester. Well, we can be friends. We can come, and people can come and talk to us. And I'll bring the sidekick, and where you go.
8: Oh, that that would be absolutely marvelous. Yes, I'd like to. You're exactly right. We'll um, have a discussion with other community members, and that would be. Thank you. That's a wonderful offer. Really appreciate, well, it, Ian.
3: You see, uh, keep in touch, Elaine, <laughs> as they say in the uh, in the classics. Do keep in touch, and thanks for your call, Elaine.
8: Thank you. Thanks, Ian.
3: See ya. Bye.
8: Bye. Bye. Yeah, Macca,
0: Gary speaking. Hi, Gary. You might remember me as Gary the fisherman. I rang you a couple of years ago from uh, from uh, Noosa, going out fishing for the day. Uh,
3: and, yeah, I'll take your word for it. Gaz, go on. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, in in regard to that bloke with the bull sharks down in Sydney Harbour, all the swimming and that around them, mm. they they might need to take care. I was out on Friday, up off Double Island Point. Uh, up from noosa uh fishing for the day and was a bit slow until all excitement got a one chap on the boat he got a a cobia which is a a sort of missile like a shark type fish about four foot long got it up for about two or three foot from getting it out of the water and next thing this uh big bull shark probably about eight foot long it uh come up and all of a sudden all he had left was a head wow yeah so uh this are enormous these things they are the, and the size of their head, and that they just probably you know a foot and a half they 're uh, across the, the head of them, and that so yeah that 's a bit exciting if you want to go swimming with them, I suggest mm. they take up a, another sport
3: Well, Kieran usually goes swimming off a beach um, like a surf beach, he gets out and they go swimming, and uh, but when it 's rough, you can 't do that often so um, but he swims with these dusky whalers. Um uh, yeah. <clears throat> which are a little bit smaller but and they're in a you know, he says there's twenty or thirty of them down there. So Kieran's swimming in deep water and he looks down about twenty metres and the dusky whalers are down there, you know, talking to one another and having a morning coffee yeah. <laughs> and so and he and he does that year after year, you know, and um and so when you talk to Kieran about sharks he, he's you're very fond of sharks, you know, because he's the dusky whaler. But this bull shark that he confronted or that just swam underneath them So they all – they think there's safety in numbers, but I don't think there is, although anyway. But the bull shark – and they all headed for the shore. But Kieran just said to me before he left, he said – he said they're ugly-looking things, bull sharks. He said then – he said the dusky whale is a beautiful-looking animal, but he said the bull shark, he said – he seemed – I don't know. why it got the name bull shark. Like the front rower on the halfback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, anyway – Gaz, that's uh, yeah. I don't think you'll go swimming quite so um, in in. The... Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's pretty so exciting to see. You know, all, when you go out fishing and do a lot of fishing offshore, all the different varieties of sharks and that, and there's there's very few of them, and unless there's something happens like uh, the, the excitement in the water and too much disturbance that send off like distress rays to them. That's what they pick up. And uh, if something's in trouble, then they want to go and have a look. And yeah. uh,
3: if if you're that trouble, then yeah, watch out. Exactly. Somebody just rang me before and said, "Maka, uh, bull sharks are the only sharks that'll swim in fresh or brackish water." I'm not sure if that's true, but um, I remember oh, six months ago we had a call from a bloke down on the at the mouth of the Murray, and yeah. he said there'd been a a shark, but I think that was a white pointer had gone some some way towards, the, in the mouth of the Murray, but that would be, um, and that would yeah, be pred- sort of fresh or, yeah, anyway.
0: Real, uh, for want of a better term, predator words for those ones is that the, the bull sharks and that, the fresh water stirs them up too in that once the water comes out of the river and it's coming out at a fair pace, then a lot of the small bait fish that live in the rivers and get washed out in that, then they come out and then the bull sharks are quite happy to sit there waiting for them. Uh, so it's another area where you know where other sharks they'll still swim around mostly you know out in their own habitat sort of thing but the bull sharks are predators
3: like that along the coastline so yeah there you go all right gaz uh nice to talk to you um you're not going out fishing today no mate it's uh you
0: can only get out there every so often the the cheese says you know that we we can buy some fish for a lot cheaper than i go fishing occasionally (laughs) so (laughs) all right listen to them mate
3: Good on you, Gary. Thank you. All right,
2: Macca. Thanks. Bye. bye. Oh, hello, Macca. This is Erin Peterson calling from the Amber. Hi, Erin. Hi. And I just wanted to clarify that, according to the ABS, median wages, middle wages in Australia are 48000 mm. whereas average is 90000
5: Yeah. Whereas That's- 10 minutes
2: ago on the radio, you had a go at someone who... Said that the median wage was around sixty
3: thousand. Well, that's what it had in. That's what it had in the um uh, the census. The median wage had said in the census twenty one. The median wage worked out at ninety thousand. That's what Kieran said anyway, and it's in the no, it's,
2: it's, it's, no, that's wrong. That's the average wage is in the nineties. I have an economics degree as well,
6: yeah. but
3: the
2: median yeah. wage is just under fifty thousand. So fifty percent of people get less than fifty thousand dollars. Fifty
3: percent of people get less than fifty thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, that's what median means. It means the middle of wages.
3: uh, uh, Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll I'll stand corrected, but um, that's what Kieran... look
2: look it up yourself. It's easy enough. Just look up the ABS and look up median and average wages for 2022, Uh and they're they're the numbers that come up. And I know that that number has been in the 40s for some time. It goes up a little bit every year, but it's still under $50,000. 50% Under fifty. percent uh, of people get less than fifty thousand dollars a year, yeah. and then the average is ninety because pulled up by very high income earners who pull up. And well, an average is just total income divided by total number of people.
3: Yeah, exactly. All right, thanks, Erin.
2: That's okay. Good on you. I didn't. Want, I didn't want people to have the wrong idea that people were earning so much money, which they're not.
3: No, only some. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the lucky few. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Maka. Thanks, Bye. Bye.
8: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC
4: Listen app.